0: Friends, here's your assignment. Grab your Bible and find Luke chapter 10. I want you to look at verse 25. You can download uh, this order of worship that is essentially your worship outline. And do that right now if you've not done so, because it'll help you keep up with the truth that God wants to imprint upon your heart and life. I would also urge you to quickly text somebody and invite them to tune into this service. It could make a huge difference in the way the rest of their life unfolds. Now, let's plunge in to this incredible message that comes from the very heart of God that defines what He expects of us. Uh, Let me tell you a little story as we start, as we think about serving as God's good Samaritan. (laughs) Uh, There was a fellow named Charlie. He passed away and he had gone to the pearly gates, and there he encountered St. Peter. St. Peter was admitting people to heaven, and he asked a curious question. He said to the group of people that had lined up, I want you to tell me one act of kindness that you did on earth. So, old Charlie stepped forward, and he said, "Uh, well, St. Peter, once I saw a really rough group of motorcycle bikers, and they were harassing a little grandmother. They were going to take her purse I saw this unfolding as I came out of a cafe and I ran over and I confronted them. The big leader was six foot five, 260 pounds. I looked at him with steel in my eyes. I said, You quit harassing that little grandmother, give her a purse back. And about that time, I felt inspired and I kicked over his bike, his brand new bike. And then I stepped up to him and I said, You leave her alone. And I punched him in the nose. St. Peter said, Charlie, that's amazing. When did that happen? Charlie said, I think about two minutes ago. (laughs) Okay, here's my point helping people, coming to their rescue and aid can be costly and risky. That's what we learn from Jesus when we look at the story of the Good Samaritan. Today, we're going to focus on one of the world's most famous heroes. He is universally known in any culture, in any country. People know who the Good Samaritan is. Now, here's what I want you to do I want to focus our collective attention on God's expectations. If you have your worksheet, make this note. These are God's expectations for you. You see, here's what the Lord wants. In a world of takers, He wants you to be his good Samaritan, which is to be a Christ-like giver. In a world of selfishness, he wants you to be his good Samaritan, which means you're to be a Christ-like servant. In a world that overflows with hurt and hate, what does the Lord want you to be? He wants you to be his good Samaritan, a Christ-like person of love, kindness, and compassion. Well, these are his expectations. Uh, This is What Jesus came to do. Focus for a moment on Mark 10, 45. Listen to these words that define the very purpose of the life of Jesus. Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Why don't you underline the word to serve and then to give? And why did He come to serve and to give? Because He loves us more than you can possibly fathom or imagine. For God so loved you, my friend, that He gave His only Son if you'll just trust in Him and follow Him. Oh, He'll infuse your life with His life. You see, that's the goal of God. He wants you to be motivated to serve and to give by His love. Well, let's come now to one of the most famous stories in the literature of the world, one of the Bible's treasures. It's in Luke 10, verse 25. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Let's pick up here in verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? It's a good question. Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? He answered, and he said, "'You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, with all your mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself.' Jesus said to him, "'You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live.' But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, "'Who is my neighbor?' Jesus replied and he said a certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho he fell among robbers and they stripped him they beat him they went off leaving him half dead by chance a certain priest was going down on that road and when he saw him he passed by on the other side likewise a levite also he came to the place he saw him and he passed by on the other side but a certain samaritan who was on a journey, came upon him. When he saw him, he felt compassion. He came to him. He bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast, and he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper, and he said, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. Jesus said to him, go and do the same. And my friend, here's what I want us to do. I want us to take this familiar story and reframe it. And here's what I want you to do. Let's activate our imaginations and I want you to see Jesus. Just imagine Jesus. And here is Jesus, and He is talking to this ever-present crowd, teaching them, and this bright young religious lawyer comes bounding up to Jesus. He wants to see Him. You can just see on this young attorney's face, the Jewish traditions are carved into His features. And He asks this prize-winning question in verse 25. He says, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Is there a more important question? Absolutely not. Life is short, friends. Eternity is forever. So, you want to get this right. So, Jesus looked into His eyes. I imagine on the lips of Jesus, a smile begins to curl. And He volleys back at this question in verse 26. He says, well, young man, what do you think the law says, and how do you interpret it? And He responds very well. He says, love God and love others. He essentially fuses Deuteronomy 6, 5, and then Leviticus 19, 18, which says, love the Lord your God with your everything and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus gives him a thumbs up, and he says to this young lawyer, he says, do this and you will live. But let me give you a nuance. The word you will live is the word zoe. The standard word for live is bios, like biology, life. But zoe is what Jesus used in John 10.10. He came that we can have life, life to its full, life that is abundant and meaningful. So this is a very special opportunity. So the lawyer, because lawyers like the fine print in a contract, he asked Jesus this marvelous question, who is my neighbor? Now the word neighbor in the ancient Greek language, and here it's Aramaic, means people who are near me and who are like me. In other words, my tribe. And Jesus blows their minds because He's about to expand the definition of a neighbor. He says, we have a responsibility in this parable to care for all people. And He is going to talk not about theology, but he's going to talk about a new world view. All right, so let's plunge deep into it. I want to share three instructions on serving as God's good Samaritan, and it's a good Samaritan for your neighbor who is defined as anyone and everyone near you in need. So, let's go with number one. A Christ-like giver learns to see. Make that note, a like giver learns to see. Uh, let me explain something. I've been to Israel a number of times, and I've been on this road that runs from Jericho to Jerusalem. It's only 22 miles, but in that 22 miles, the elevation changes 3,500 feet. It's called the bloody way because it was inhabited by robbers. There were hairpin turns and curves and huge boulders, and people would constantly be attacked. So, when Jesus mentioned The Jericho Road, people instantly pictured this bloody pathway. In Israel, uh, when I was on the Jericho Road, by the way, I I didn't see any bandits. I only saw some Bedouins. And they were kind of robbers because they were trying to get us to pay 20 bucks to take a picture of their camel. Uh, I think most of the bandits are gone. Uh, But I can tell you this (laughs) in Jesus' day, there was in Jericho the retreat center for the priest and the Levites. And they would travel along that road regularly to go to the temple and to do temple service. So this man who had been beat up, he is then seen by who? He is seen by a priest and a Levite. They see this man who's been beat up. His clothes have been ripped off. He is almost dead. And yet what do they see? They really don't see a wounded man they see a problem. They see an obstacle in their path. They see perhaps a dangerous trick or maybe a hazard to their schedule. And then Jesus, He switches it, and He says, this man who is a Samaritan, (laughs) and a friend, this good Samaritan, Jesus says, sees this person in need totally differently. He sees him as a person who is made in the image of God, a person of worth, value, and dignity. He sees this person not as an obstacle, but as an opportunity to help and to serve and to live out God's golden rule. So let me ask you a very important question. How do you see people? In this story, we see three examples of how folks see others. Number one, the robber sees people like this, what's yours is mine, and I'll take it. That's the way the robber sees people. The priest and the Levite, they see it like this, what's mine is mine, and I'll keep it. I don't need to share with you. It could be too risky and costly. But the Good Samaritan, here's how he sees it. What's mine is yours. And I'll share it. I'll share it. Oh friend, I want to suggest that you might need some vision training. I want you to compare your vision to the robbers, to the priests, to the Levites, and then to the Good Samaritan. Because here's the goal of God. He wants you to see people through the lens of Jesus. We can determine what that looks like in John 4, verse 35. John four verse 35, Jesus is talking to that woman at the well. He just had a conversation with this much-married lady, and uh, he explains something to his disciples. He says, "Do you not say, four months more than the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Friend, let me urge you to pray that prayer. Open your eyes." And see people the way Jesus sees them. Here's one of my favorite goals I keep these sunglasses near my desk to remind me to see with Jesus' lenses. I want to see people in the circumstances of my life the way Jesus sees them. I want to have Jesus' vision. I want to eliminate my inherent prejudices, and I want to see people who are wounded. Who are lost, who are lonely, who are insecure, who are captives, who are hurting, who are broken. And I want to see that person as an opportunity for me to be a good Samaritan. Well, let's move from eyes to heart. Number two, a Christ-like giver learns to care. Let's move from our eyes all the way down to our heart. Now, the priest and the Levites, evidently they were too busy to stop caring for number one and care for somebody else. Now, here's a nuance of the story. The man has had his clothes ripped off, and in those days, you could tell a person's tribe or their clan by their clothing. Uh, Gentile wore a certain kind of clothing. The Jews wore another type of clothing. So, if the clothing was missing, they didn't know, what tribe this man came from. For all they knew, he was a worthless tax collector or a Gentile, or maybe it was a decoy and a trick. So, they sidestepped him. Maybe they said, we're in a hurry. We're going to go serve God at the temple. We don't have time for this guy." Besides, if we get blood on our hands, we may be disqualified. And furthermore, somebody will come behind us. Mr. Somebody will help out. And they scurry on. And then here comes, replacing these callous-hearted people the soft-hearted Good Samaritan. Now, in Jesus' day, when He was describing the Good Samaritan, most of you know that Samaritans were not in the good graces of the Jews. As a matter of fact, let me tell you this story real quick. In 722 B.C., the area of northern Israel, the northern king of Israel, fell, and they were taken into captivity. but some of the Jews remained. But they intermarried with their captors, and uh, they were perceived to have betrayed God's purpose in people. Consequently, they were seen as less than. So, when Jesus makes the hero of this ultra-famous story, the Good Samaritan, that's an ultimate oxymoron, like a jumbo shrimp. Come on. Good Samaritan? That doesn't add up. That doesn't ring true. But here's what Jesus is saying. If this Good Samaritan can summon a kind heart, then anybody has that capacity to care. So let me state the obvious. My friend, we live in a world that is so full of sarcasm and cynicism, and it's very popular and in vogue to be jaded and hard-hearted. Let me give you a classic illustration that comes from the life of Kevin Carter. Kevin Carter was a very famous photographer This young man had gone to Sudan, and he was photographing a famine several years ago. He took this prize-winning photograph of a little Sudanese girl being stalked by a vulture. He took the picture, and it won the Pulitzer Prize in journalism that year. It's a horrific picture. It's a haunting picture. Kevin Carter was asked, After he won the prize, did he intervene? Did he care for that child? And the answer was no. He became haunted by that picture and by his refusal to care and intervene. And 11 months after he won the Pulitzer Prize, Kevin Carter took his own life in guilt and in shame. Now, friend, let me ask you this hard question. If you would have been a character in the cast of the story of the Good Samaritan, would you have stopped? Would you have joined the company of the priest and the Levites and scurried by with blind eyes and a calloused heart? Or would you be like that Good Samaritan? Would you be like Jesus? You see, the Bible says, and Jesus tells us that this man had compassion. And the word compassion is chai nizomai, compassion. You can almost hear the word spleen. It means something in his gut, in his visceral feelings, in his heart moved him to compassion. It's the same word we find in Matthew chapter 9. Look on your worksheet. And when Jesus saw the crowds, He had compassion, splanchi nizomai for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few." Well, my friends, here is the goal of God, for you to develop good eyes, see through Jesus' lenses, and then a compassionate heart so that you minister to the others. Uh, the other day, Mary Ruth and I were out walking in our neighborhood. We lived near Jeff Davis High School place called McGee Estates, and we were doing our walk in the coronavirus, getting some good vitamin D and exercise. And as we walked through the neighborhood, we saw something strange uh, near the intersection of one of the streets in Fernway. I noticed that a lady was in a Honda Civic, and she seemed to be kind of slumped over the steering wheel and caught my attention. And God just spoke to my spirit. He said, check on that lady. So I went up to her, and uh, I said, ma'am, are you okay? She rolled down her window and weakly said, "Um, I'm a diabetic, and I'm not feeling too good. And I'm not sure where I am. Where am I? And I gave her the coordinates of the street, and I said, well, where have you come from? She said, well, I've been at the Walmart. I live out by the airport, and I was talking on my cell phone. I got confused, and I'm not sure where I am. Well, you know, this is the COVID-19 era, and I'm not doing a lot of ride-sharing right now with strangers, but my caution was outweighed by my compassion. And same for Mary So We get in the car with her, and and uh, we found some juice packs in the back that she'd forgotten she bought. And she got a little sugar in her system and perked up, got her cell phone. I talked to her nephew, and, and he just said, if you can get her over to Jeff Davis High School, we'll come get her. We'll come get Miss Alma. And we did. You see, what were we doing? Was that anything monumental? No, it was just... Given a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. It was seeing people for who they are, created in the image of God, worthy of our dignity, our love, our respect, and our compassion. Which brings us to number three. What follows a heart of compassion? Number three, a Christ like giver learns to act. You see, Jesus is always calling his true followers to learn it, to live it learn His truth so that you can live His truth. Uh, you see, the young lawyer wanted to talk about theology, and Jesus wanted to talk about first aid. That's what a good Samaritan does. The good Samaritan engaged in this risky behavior of assisting, even though it might have been a trap. It was a costly activity. It cost him his time. It cost him money. It cost him his ride on his own donkey. It cost him a set of clothing. When he found the innkeeper, he gave him two days' wages, what would be for us, let's say, a couple hundred bucks, because he was expressing compassion in a tangible fashion. You know something I've learned over the years, friends? I've learned this great truth. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. You see, we see a, a person who gives himself because he has a heart of love for this stranger. And that's what the Lord expects of me and you. Let me give you another classic story. It's a picture of what happened in 1946 after the devastation of World War II. There were a group of Christian German young people who went over to Brussels, Belgium, and they were going to rebuild a church. So they engaged in the rebuilding of the church. One of the German bombs had hit nearby. And the statue of Jesus was retained, except it blew off the arms. But one of the final jobs was to restore the hands of Jesus on the statue. But one night, the young people got together, and they had this epiphany. They said, now, wait a minute. We are the hands of Jesus now in this world. Let's symbolize the fact that we are the hands of Jesus by leaving them off. You see, this becomes a call to action. To do what it says in Matthew 25, verse 40, listen to these fabulous and motivating words. The king, and this is King Jesus, my friend, listen closely, don't miss it. The king will reply, tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. My friends, this is the call to action. It's not adequate for us to simply see people in need and cluck our tongues and feel sorry for them and step by them. No, we are called to act. What we do for the least of these, we do for Jesus. So here's what Jesus is calling you to do. It's so simple. He wants you to identify the wounded, hurting, broken people around you and be their good Samaritan here's one of my simple goals. I want to be a Christ-like giver in this world of takers, and I want to give as much as I can to as many as I can for as long as I can and serve as God's good Samaritan. Well, let me give you the last word. Here's the summary statement. The good Samaritan is none other than Jesus. Did you realize that? There's a double meaning, double entendre in this story. You see, here's what Jesus has come to do. It's found in John 15 verse 13, greater love has no one, Jesus said, than this, that He gives His life for His friends. And that's why Jesus came from heaven to earth, because He knew that we were stranded, we were broken, we were helpless and hopeless, we were abandoned on the robber's way. And what has Jesus come to do? He does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He comes, He sees, He cares, and He rescues us. See, Jesus has come to rescue and to seek that which is lost. My friends, did you realize the Jericho Road runs through this moment? And right now, Jesus is passing by you, and and He is wanting to minister to you. He's wanting to rescue you the one place you will not find Jesus is where He is uninvited. So do the most important thing you can possibly do right now. My friend, if you sense you're not connected to Jesus, connect to Him right now. You may say, Pastor Jay, I'm not worthy. I've made too many mistakes. May I lovingly tell you that God's mercy is bigger than your mistakes? Some of you are saying, I'll do it, but I'll do it later time out. The Bible says, today is the day of salvation. Friends, I've done 1,100 funerals. You have no guarantees. So right now, would you pray this prayer with me? Say, Lord Jesus, just say it in your heart of hearts, in the chapel of your soul. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive my sin. Make me your child. I promise to follow you every day and all the way. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you pray that prayer, don't delay. Act on it, friends. Talk is cheap. Text the number that you see right here. Text it right now. Just text yes and give us your name so that we can help you follow up and grow in the Lord Jesus right now. Your heart is beating a little faster right now. Get out your phone and do something that the devil will hate and the angels will rejoice over. Text this number and say, yes, I'm choosing to follow Jesus. Oh, I wish I could do it for you. I cannot. But you make that decision, and the angels will rejoice, and you'll be on a brand new path of becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. Do you know what's required? Surrender.